This morning, uh, I have a message called Fan or Follower, and it is based on the book, Not a Fan, by Kyle Eidelman, in case anybody wants to go home and buy it. Uh, but before I get started, I, I do, you know, I ask a lot of questions from, from the pulpit, and uh, today's no exception. I'm going to ask you guys a lot of questions, so get ready for that. But before I do, um, who here is a Laker fan? Anyone? Just, that's right. That's what I'm talking about, Laker fans here. Uh, who was angry at their performance this last series? <laughs> right? Now, who here, be honest, who here was yelling at the TV when they were doing bad? That's right. See, you're, you're not a real fan unless you yell at the TV, right? I remember, I mean, I'm going to date myself, but I remember, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I know, don't hold it against me. It's like a rule. If, you, know, you have to follow the team where you grew up. You know, the closest you grew up to, and I grew up in Juarez and then El Paso, and the closest team to us was the Dallas Cowboys. So I've been following the Dallas Cowboys for a long time, and I remember sitting there in my Tony Dorsett. Anyone remember Tony Dorsett jersey? That's right. It's a long time ago, I'm telling you. And uh, I used to sit there at the TV, and I used to enjoy when they would win and get mad when they wouldn't and yell at the TV. I, I was that guy. But you're not a real fan unless you yell at it. I, today, I brought a couple of people along to help you guys understand what real fans do. And real fans have passion and commitment, like one of my cousins that went to a Mexico game. <laughs> That's what a real fan does. You know, real sports fans, if you are a real sports fan, you might even grow a beard to just support the playoffs. That's what they do. I mean, they're into their team. Real sports fans are loyal. Loyal no matter what the record is. Just like these guys back here. Real sports fans, they're a little ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> but they don't care. You see, they're, they're real sports fans. They're following their team. And my favorite is that real sports fans have their priorities straight. <laughs> I kid you not, last night, this is a true story, last night I walk out and some guy tells me, um, my wife's water broke while I was watching an Angels game, and I'm like, oops, that, that was him. But, um, you know, today I, I want to talk to you about fans, uh, fans of Jesus or, and true followers of Jesus. And I want to start with the story that is recorded in John chapter 6 which talks about the miraculous feeding of 5,000. And I know most of you have heard that, that, that story before and are very familiar with it. And in that story, we learn that Jesus is addressing a crowd that more likely has grown to be more than 5,000. And Jesus has never been more popular at this time. You know, word has spread out about his miraculous healings and all his inspirational teachings. So this crowd of thousands has come together to cheer this guy on. After a full day of teaching, Jesus knows that the people are getting hungry. So he turns to his disciples and he asks what they will do for food. And one of his disciples, his name is Philip, tells Jesus that even with eight months worth of wages, that it wouldn't be enough money to buy bread for everyone. But from Philip's perspective, there was nothing that could be done. But another disciple named Andrew has been scanning the crowd and he tells Jesus about a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. As we all know, Jesus takes the boy's sack lunch, and with it, he feeds the entire crowd. In fact, the Bible tells us that even after one had had their fill, there was still plenty of food left over. And like I told you, I know we all have heard this story. I mean, it's a very popular story. But what is interesting to me is what happens after dinner. You see, the crowd decides to camp out for the night so they can be with Jesus the next day. Now, you guys would agree with me this morning that those are some big-time fans of Jesus, right? I mean, who stays overnight just to hear this guy talk? But the next morning when the crowd wakes up, they're hungry again. And they look around for Jesus, a.k.a. their meal ticket. But he's nowhere to be found. 
See, these fans are hoping for an encore performance. Eventually, they realize that Jesus and his disciples have crossed over to the other side of the lake. And by the time they catch up with Jesus, they're starving again. They missed their chance to order breakfast, and now they're ready to find out what's on the lunch menu. But Jesus decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not handing out free samples anymore like at Costco. And in verse 26 of chapter, John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus knows what these peop- that these people are not going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they are following him, but because they want some free food. It's pretty clear. The Bible tells us that. I mean, was it Jesus that they really wanted, or were they only interested in what he could do for them? And in verse 35, Jesus offered himself, and he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. All of a sudden, Jesus offers himself, but the question is, would that be enough? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Suddenly, Jesus is the only thing on the menu. The crowd has to decide whether he's going to satisfy or whether they're looking for something more. Then in verse 36, it's probably one of the very important verses here. He says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his fans turn around to go home. You know, and I was really struck by the fact that Jesus doesn't chase after them. He doesn't soften his message to make it more appealing. He doesn't send his disciples chasing after them, you know, offering them some creative handout, inviting them to come to an ice cream social where they can build their own Sunday. He doesn't do that. He seems okay with the fact that his popularity has plummeted literally overnight. Even when Jesus had large crowds, he would often preach a message that would make them very uncomfortable and they were very likely to leave. You see, it wasn't the size of crowd that Jesus cared about. It was their level of commitment which he was interested in. And today, this morning, I want us to do an honest diagnosis. I want us to diagnose and ask ourselves, are we just fans or are we true followers of the one living God, Jesus Christ? Because this is probably one of the most important questions that we'll ever ask ourselves in this lifetime. You know, I can rattle some statistics as to why this question is important, but I'll just share a couple of them with you. You know, there's Barnard Research, just like Gallup polls, they do a lot of research, particularly in in the religious arena, and and there's some research that reported that 65% of 18 to 42-year-olds in America have a personal commitment with Jesus Christ, which on the surface sounds great, but how many of these 65% are true followers? The research goes on to show that only 23% of those same people believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And only 13% said that getting drunk is a sin. And the list goes on and on and on and on. In other words, 65% said they are committed to Jesus, but most of them are not committed to Jesus in every area of their life. But you see, Jesus never left the door open for selective commitment. The reality of this question is that it it may not be as easy of an uh, an answer to, I mean, a question to answer. I want to tell you that if you are here this morning, you fall into two groups, okay? The first group is the Jesus with the fish on the back of my car group. Now, 
In this group, you're serious enough about your faith that you shop at the Christian section of the bookstore, in which case this question is a little bit more rhetorical, and you may think that you're sure of the answer. You may think that this is an important question for many other people to answer, but asking you is like going to an Anaheim pub and asking who cheers for the angels. I mean, it's, it's just not that important of a question for you. It's an important question, but you're sure of the answer, and your mind quickly dismisses it. But before you dismiss it, let me ask you what I am not asking. I am not asking if you go to church. I am not asking if you grew up with Christian parents. I am not asking if you said a prayer after a preacher. I am not asking if you own three or more Bibles. I'm not asking if you are in our church directory or have been in any other church's directory. I am not asking if you grew up going to VBS or church camps. I am not asking if your worship song, I mean, if your ringtone is a worship song. I'm not asking that. I am not asking if you're able to utilize five or more synonyms for God when you pray. And I'm certainly not asking if under religious view in your Facebook page it says Christ follower. That's not what I'm asking. The point is that many of us are quick to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I think we need to take a closer look. We need to take a closer look because one of the most sobering passages in the Bible tells of a day when all of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus will be stunned to find out that he doesn't even recognize them. This is found in Matthew chapter 7, and in verse 23, the last part of that verse, it says, I never knew you away from me. That, to me, is a sobering passage, a day that will come where Jesus will either know you or not know you. So the first group is Jesus fish on the back of my car group. The second group is, is why is there a fish on the back of my friend's car? You may have heard the question about being a Jesus fan or follower, but it didn't move you. It's not that you're offended by it, but perhaps it's not that relevant to you at this time. It doesn't bother you that some people choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That's cool, but you don't want to be known as the Jesus freak or the hallelujah boy. I mean, you're looking, but you're not there yet. It's kind of like the friend who's so into uh, Star Trek that when he speaks to you in Klingon, it's like you don't really care that if that's what he's into, that's all right for him, but you just don't really get the appeal. But what if... What if life comes down to this one question? What if there really is a heaven or a hell and where we spend eternity really depends on this one question? Now, some of you may think, well, maybe that's a little ridiculous right now, but isn't it worth thinking through that question again? Are you a fan or a follower? See, I believe that the reason that we're on this earth is to answer that very question. And the truth is, whether you answer it or not consciously or intentionally, we all answer the question. The sad reality of this question is that there are people from either group who will turn down the invitation to follow Jesus. And even as we read through the Gospels about Jesus inviting people to follow him, some people signed up, but most often they didn't. They walked away. But before we wrestle with that question a little bit more of being a fan or a follower, let's define what each means. The most basic definition of a fan is an enthusiastic admirer found in the dictionary. You know, it is the guy, that, like, just like the guy that I put up there. It's the guy who goes to the football game with, a sh with, with, with no shirt and his chest painted. He sits on the stands and he cheers as loud as he can. He might even yell at the TV like I used to. He has a signed jersey at home hanging on the wall, but he's never been in the game. He never breaks a sweat. He never takes a hard hit on the open field. He knows all about the players and can rattle off all the latest statistics, but he doesn't know the players. 
He cheers, but nothing is required of him. There is no sacrifice to make. And if his team doesn't do well, well, then his passion may wane along with the season. If his team has several losing seasons, he reserves the right to jump off the fan wagon and go cheer for another team. He is basically an enthusiastic and admirer. A fan is a woman who never misses the celebrity news shows. She always picks up the latest People magazine. She's a huge fan of some actress who is the latest Hollywood sensation. And this woman not only knows every movie that this actress has been in, but she knows what high school the actress went to. She knows her birthday. She knows who her first boyfriend was. She even knows her real hair color. She knows everything there is to know, but she doesn't know the actress personally. She's a huge fan, but that's it. She's just a fan. She is basically an enthusiastic admirer. And I think Jesus has a lot of these fans these days, don't you? Fans who cheer for him when things are going well, but who walk away when it becomes a difficult season. Fans who sit safely on the stands cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice and the pain of the field. Fans of Jesus who know all about him, but they don't know him personally. But Jesus was never, he was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not one of the options. So where do we start to determine if you really are a follower or just a fan? Well, I think it begins with the DTR. Anybody here know what a DTR stands for? Just some of the guys, huh? Many of, many of the guys know exactly what that is because I remember, a, a day, it's a long time ago, a date back in high school where we're on our first date and the girl sits down with me and tells me, where do you see our relationship with going? I'm like, it's our first date. I don't see it going anywhere. <laughs> DTR stands for define the relationship. I wasn't ready to answer that question back then, but there comes a time when we all need to define the relationship. And it could be awkward, it could be uncomfortable, but eventually every healthy relationship reaches a point where the DTR talk is needed. I mean, is it casual or is it committed? Have things moved past infatuation and admiration and towards deeper devotion and dedication? Well, today I want us to have that DTR talk in our hearts between us and Jesus. I want us to define the relationship between you and Jesus. What exactly is the commitment level? Now, I'm going to warn you that it is going to get a little uncomfortable. You may even feel a little anxious, you know, asking yourself that question because you may like your current arrangement with Jesus and that DTR talk that you're about to have in your heart may rock your boat a little bit. It will be uncomfortable because we have to ask ourselves the hard questions. I mean, if we want to have a relationship with Jesus or with all the benefits, but none of the commitments, a no-strings-attached arrangement where you can connect with him from time to time, but as long as it really doesn't mess with your life. I mean, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus puts it this way. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. That is what his true followers do. They deny themselves, take up their cross, and they follow him. A fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. And the question is, are we enthusiastic admirers or are we true followers of Christ? And as we read through the Gospels, uh, Gospels, you will find example after example where Jesus will put people in a position where they must choose. Sometimes there were large crowds, were like we saw in Luke chapter 14 and John 6, which I read. 
And Jesus would preach a sermon that would determine who in the crowd were fans and who were followers. Jesus was never impressed with the size of the crowd. And like I told you before, it is the commitment level that he cared about. And I think we run the risk that instead of being a community of true followers of Christ, that we could be prone to be a stadium full of fans. Where we, ne- we could wear the cross, but we never bear the cross. We can come to church and we know all the songs and we open up our Bibles and we take notes and walk out to our car with the fish on the bumper and we say grace before lunch, but that doesn't necessarily make us a true follower of Christ. And you know, I'm going to be honest, I think for many, many years, longer than I'd like to admit, I was more of a fan than a follower, in large part because I was confused knowing about Jesus with knowing Jesus. But there is a difference between knowledge and intimacy. I grew up thinking that my knowledge and my good behavior made me a follower. I loved Jesus, and I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know him personally. I wasn't talking to him about my day every day. I wasn't listening for him to speak into my life. See, I didn't mind Jesus once a week on Sunday, as long as he didn't get in the way of uh, the Dallas Cowboys and football. I didn't mind making some minor changes in my life, but Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. You know, we come to church to, because we, we want a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants a complete renovation. We come thinking that we need a tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. We think that just a little makeup is what is needed, but Jesus is, ta- you know, he's thinking total makeover. You know, I've heard of a few reasons as to why people leave this church and, and many others for that, for that fact. And one of them has to do with the sermons that we preach. I've heard people say that they, that our messages feels like we are trying to interfere with the way people live their lives. Especially when we ask them to tithe and to serve and things like that. And I know that excuse is not really meant as a compliment to us, but I take it as a compliment. In fact, it's really more of a job description. It is our job to teach the Bible in ways that is going to interfere with your life. There is no way to follow Jesus without letting him interfere with your life. Following Christ does cost something. But the truth is, is that it is only in letting Jesus interfere with our lives that we find real life. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that we would be better behaved or to tweak our personalities or to fine-tune our manners or smooth out our rough spots. He wants total transformation. The objective of the gospel is to not make you a well-behaved person, but to turn your life upside down, one that will take a step in the direction of being closer to him. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. But at the end of this chapter, Jesus gives us three examples of people who are potential believers, but are shown to be just fans, just enthusiastic admirers. And what we find is that the same things that kept them from truly following Jesus back then could be the same things that are keeping us from following Jesus today. We read about the first fan in verse 57. This is chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice he says, I will follow wherever you go. Wherever. He uses that word wherever. I mean, this guy's at least talking a good game. He says, Jesus, I will follow you without any reservation. But then look at verse 58. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. 
Jesus draws attention to the fact that this man loved comfort more than following him. And maybe that could be something that is keeping us today from truly following him. Because the call of Jesus to take up our cross and follow him is in direct conflict with our desire to be comfortable. We are by nature comfort seekers. A follower is not asking the question, how can I be more comfortable? Perhaps today we can relate to following comfort. In many ways, we may even make comfort our God. It becomes what we live for. It becomes what we work for. It becomes what we sacrifice for. But there is nothing comfortable but the call to follow Jesus. So as you determine the relationship that you have with Jesus, I want to continue to ask you questions. And the first one, and it's in your outline, you can fill it out. It says, is the relationship one of convenience or is it committed? You see, this man in verse 57 spoke words of commitment as we all saw. But when Jesus painted him a picture of what the commitment looked like, the man seemed to back off. And I think there are a lot of people who have made a decision to believe in Jesus, but never really committed to following him. You know, MSNBC recently did a report on a new type of vegetarians. And Christy Pug, who is age 28, captured the report. By the way, this is a true story. I usually eat vegetarians, she says, but I like bacon. She said this. She represents a growing number of people who refer themselves to catch this flexitarians. Most of the time, they will refuse to eat meat. But once in a while, they make an exception. Christy explains it this way. I really like vegetarian, but I'm not 100% committed. And you know, flexitarians is a good way to describe how many people today view their commitments. Flexitarians are committed until it becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable. So when the special is filet mignon, then our commitments can be adjusted. And that's the way many Christians approach their commitment to Jesus and the Bible. We say things like, I really like Jesus, but I, I don't really enjoy serving the poor. I'm not a real big, you know, into this idea of going to church every Sunday. I just want to, you know, I want to have my life too. You know, my resources are spoken for. I love Jesus in this area of my life, but when it, when it comes to these set of friends or, or when I'm at this place, I'm not 100% committed. And so they will say, I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive the person who hurt me. Don't ask me to release the bitterness and resentment. I'm not going to let that go. You don't know what they've done to me. I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to give a percentage of my money. I work hard for that money. I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about my sex life. That's between me and my partner. I can't help my desires. You know, we wear the name Christian, and then we pick and choose the teachings of Jesus that we're going to follow. As if the teachings of Scripture were a buffet where you can pick and choose what looks good and just leave the rest to someone else. You know, it's not unusual for me and even Pastor Laird who have talked to parents that are concerned with their college-age kids and their grown kids no longer following Christ. Often the parents want to know two things. One is, what did I do wrong, you know, raising them, and what do I do now? And the answer is, I don't know. I, I really don't. But I, it's usually because both the parents and the church could have done a better job. Sometimes it's because we raise our children at church, but we don't raise them in Christ. 
Oftentimes, we are guilty of raising our kids to have a little bit of God. You see, we want them to have good morals, and we want them to be raised, but we also want them to do be really good at something. So we put them in sports, or we put them in dance, and, and we do, and then God becomes a little bit here, and we want them to have a good education so that they can prosper when they grow up. And oftentimes, this ends up compartmentalizing God. But one of the most dangerous ways to be raised is with a little bit of Jesus. Because it's like an inoculation. It's like in a shot. A little bit can make you immune to the real thing. It's like a marriage. It doesn't work unless you have that whatever it takes, completely committed approach. In verse 59, we meet fan number two. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, one of the first words out of this guy's mouth is first. The first thing he does is he puts Jesus off. I want to follow. I mean, I really want to follow you, Jesus, but not right now. Now is not a good time. We treat our our relationship with Jesus like, you know, like that diet that we keep meaning to start. I'm not going to start eating. I'm going to start eating right as soon as I finish off my In-N-Out burger. I do that all the time, so I could, I could say it. And we do that to Jesus. First, let me do what I want to do. Then I will follow you. We put Jesus off like, if, like we put off going to the gym. And then so we'll say, I'll start tomorrow. This is my last time, God, I promise. When I'm out of college, I'll do this. When I get married, when I have kids... When I get a less demanding job, and instead of getting out of bed, we just keep on hitting the snooze alarm time and time again. Just 10 more minutes, we say. And maybe you hear this man's excuse for putting Jesus off, and you think Jesus is being a little harsh here. I mean, let the guy go bury his dad. But you have to know that most likely his father wasn't even sick. This was a way for the man to say, when my parents die... Then I will follow you. When I get the inheritance, then I know, when I know that they won't disapprove, then I will follow you. But his excuse isn't good enough for Jesus. And I'm not sure what is holding some of us back. It may be something that seems very legitimate, but Jesus says that the time is now. And one thing I can tell you for certain is that the longer we put him off, the less likely we are to really follow him. And the third fan is in verse 61. It says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for for servicing the kingdom of God. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers. Following him part-time isn't an option. He has no interest in Sunday Christians following him that are always looking over their shoulder trying to figure out if they missed out on something better or if they're second guessing their decision both the second and the third follower are dealing with the issues of priorities so then the next question that i want us to ask ourselves is the question is and it's in your outline is is jesus one of many or is he your one and only is jesus one of many or is he your one and only You see, fans want to make Jesus one of many. And Jesus is clear that that isn't an option. Jesus says the most important command is to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength. That's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you and with me. 
So let's imagine, but this is strictly pretend, but that this week you walk into a restaurant and you see me sitting at a table having a candlelit dinner with a woman who is not my wife. Just pretend, okay? You come up and ask me who the woman is and and what I'm doing, and I say that I am on a date, and then you say, well, what about your wife? And I say, well, I respond, well, 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 she, I still love her too, but you see, our date, my date now with my wife is on Thursday, and this is Tuesday, so I can date whoever I want the rest of the week. Now, I know for a fact that you would walk away at least angry and disgusted, but then you decide that someone needs to tell my wife, and who better than you to call my wife and tell her? Well, imagine that I come home from my date, and you have already told my wife, and then my wife greets me and tells me, hi, honey, did you have a nice time on your date? Now, I know this is strictly, strictly uh, getting real fictional, but just imagine how absurd that would be. You don't even have to know my wife to know that her reaction is not going to be a pleasant one. As soon as I walked in the door from that date, I would literally fear for my life. I mean, my wife, if she even heard me having lunch at McDonald's with a guy who looked like a woman, I'd be in trouble. (laughs) The Bible describes God as a jealous God. He doesn't want our one-day-a-week affection. He wants our whole heart this morning. Jesus explains that following him... It's not something you do part-time or halfway. Jesus says it is all or nothing. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, You are neither hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Those are some harsh words this morning. Jesus doesn't say everything in moderation. Just a little bit of something is okay. He says, You can't be my follower if you don't give up everything. And so the invitation hasn't changed. Jesus still says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, my favorite word in that scripture is the word anyone. No matter what your story is, no matter what you've done, this relationship with Jesus, he wants to have with you. Anyone means anyone. Anyone who has ever laid awake in bed, you know, with thoughts of, of giving everything up. Anyone who, who lays and stares themselves in the mirror and says, you know, what have I become? Anyone means anyone. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter how much guilt or shame you feel for the things that you've done. Anyone means anyone. It means you and it means me. The other phrase that I want to draw your attention for from, uh, from Luke 9.23 is the, the phrase, come after me. You know, it is a phrase that is commonly used in the context of a romantic relationship. When Jesus says, come after, he is describing a passionate pursuit of someone that you love. So the best way to understand what Jesus is wanting from us, his followers, is to compare how we pursue him to how we would pursue someone who we're attracted to of the opposite sex. Someone that we want to have a romantic relationship with. You know, I know that guys can relate to this. Most of us have done some illogical, maybe some irrational things in the passionate pursuit of our spouses. It's a pursuit that can easily consume your thoughts and our resources and our energy and our, our, and our whole being. That is what Jesus is looking from us as followers when he says, come after. You know, I could tell you stories, lots of stories about my passionate pursuit of my wife. 
You know, for me, living, you know, driving long distances to be with her, to unexpected little gifts. I mean, I have spent so much energy chasing after her, so much energy, you know, trying to win her heart, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But, you know, looking back in my relationship with Christ, I don't have as many stories about chasing after Jesus, at least not ones that I could tell you that would be worth mentioning. I think we should have some come-after-me stories that people would say, man, that is amazing, that is awesome, that, that is crazy. We need to build some of those stories. As we close, I, I want you guys to imagine with me for a second that you're in, you're in Starbucks. That's easy. I think most of us can imagine that. You grab your coffee and you walk towards the back where it is where it isn't crowded and you find yourself just sitting at a small table and all of a sudden you take your first sip and then who walks in but Jesus himself and he sits down with you at your table. Now you know it is Jesus because he's wearing the white robe with the blue sash around his waist so it's undeniable that you'll be able to do that. But then Jesus looks you straight in the eye and says, it is time to define the relationship. He wants to know how you feel about him. Is your relationship with him exclusive? Is it a casual weekend thing or has it moved past that level? How would your relationship with him be defined? What exactly is your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? And whether you call yourself a Christian since childhood or all of this is new to you, Jesus would clearly define what kind of relationship he wants to have with you. He wouldn't sugarcoat it or dress it up. He would tell you exactly what it means to follow him. And as you're sitting in that coffee shop, listening to Jesus give you the unedited version of what kind of relation he wants to have with you, I can't help but wonder if that question, are you a fan or a true follower, would be a little more challenging to answer. His invitation this morning is to anyone who wants to come after him. So as we pray, I, I want to let the word, not me, but the word of God, the one true living word of God that as we read speaks truth into our lives. I wanted to let it speak into your heart. And whatever God reveals this morning, I, all I ask and encourage you to answer it. That's all I'm asking this morning. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, for we recognize that your word speaks truth into our life, Father, and that this, this word is alive. Father, I ask that you would be faithful and that you would speak into our hearts right at this time. Father, and that, that you would reveal what level of commitment that you are looking from us, Father. So every, as everyone this morning opens up their heart to you, Father, will you speak truth into their life? And now I just want to ask if there's anyone here that would like to truly commit to be a true follower of Christ with every eye, you know, eye closed and, and with every head bowed. I'm just, I just want to ask you that if you want to make that commitment this morning, I want to ask that you just raise your hand. Not because I'm going to ask you to come forward or do anything. I just want to pray for you. Just re- Thank you. I see your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I want to pray for you. So let me just pray for you. Dear God, Father, you know the desires of our heart. Father, you know that we want to follow you wholeheartedly with all of our being, Father. And you know the things that are getting in the way of that. 
Father, I ask that you will provide strength, courage, and wisdom to to those who are committing to truly follow you today, Father. Father, as they reach out to you, as as they come to you, I ask that you will show them the way, that you will open the doors in ways that they never thought would be imaginable or possible. Father, I ask that that you would allow them to be examples for the rest of us and to all, to all those that would come close to them. Father, I ask that they would have a resolve to follow you the rest of their lives and to glorify your name, Lord. And Father, I just ask that this morning, Father, that you would do a work in our hearts and in our minds that as we walk out of those doors, we would be a different people. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.